Well, if you saw your bulletin, you see that we are not continuing in Genesis this morning. And that is a planned part of our contingency planning because Christine Margaret Horn was born on Friday. And so part of our staff contingency planning was that we knew that Wes would be gone this weekend with the youth retreat. And so he's got the sermon in his pocket at moment's notice. But this, this weekend was scheduled that I would preach. And because of the uncertainty of where we'd be and then with the snow day, um, we're going to um, take a pause. Plus, Zach had prepared ahead, so he didn't want to give up some of the Genesis study that he is, will resume in our, in our series in Genesis. So this morning, I wanted to look at 2 Timothy, and thanks to Larry for reading that text for us, the first 14 verses of chapter 1. And this morning, just to provide an encouraging reminder in our service, in our ministry, when we're asked to serve, when we see an opportunity and we maybe question, should I do it? Can I do it? All of those questions. And as we think about our service to God, how many of us have confidence when we have those opportunities? Are we sure about service to him? Or are we hesitant or reluctant, possibly even unwilling? And as I ask these questions, it brings to mind an old TV commercial. And if you think of retro commercials, the ones that aired in the distant past, back when commercials had a message, you knew what product was being promoted before the end, there was one that particularly sticks in my memory for deodorant. <laughs> and it was for sure deodorant. And if, for those of you who don't know this one, it begins with a series of vignettes of those who aren't very confident with the, the deodorant that they applied that morning. And so first you see someone on the subway, and as they clutch their paper and that handle, they're kind of like this. There's a crossing guard kind of letting kids pass by. And ultimately there's a student in the classroom who knows the answer but lacks that confidence. And so, of course, then it promotes all the virtues of sure deodorant, maybe even antiperspirant. I don't recall that detail. And then after the narrator gets finished, it then revisits each of those scenes. And all of a sudden, that guy's riding the subway, no problems. That crossing guard is, come on, kids. And that student raises their hand. And then the jingle. Confident, confident, dry and secure. Raise your hand, raise your hand if you're sure. <laughs> right? So this morning, as we think about those times that Bonnie comes to you and says, hey, we need a helper for the third grade boys. Or Tim tells you, hey, we're starting a new ministry of developing teams to visit some of our shut-ins and to help with hospital visits. Or, hey, there's a need in the nursery next month. Or Wes has a need for a new small group leader for junior high girls. Whatever those needs might be, whatever those opportunities are, that as we are asked, or maybe we see it in the bulletin and we consider it, we might be a little, well, there's a need. But we want to get to the point where, God, I'm available. I'm confident to serve because you have called me. You have equipped me. And so this morning, confident to serve, an encouraging reminder to unsure servants. 
The main idea this morning is that our, the key to confidence in serving, the key to confidence in ministry, is to focus more on God and not on ourselves. In his strength and provision, not our weaknesses and insecurities. And so to consider that this morning, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles or copies of God's Word, I invite you to turn there if you would like. Provide a little bit of background information. This is Paul's second letter to Timothy. And in a lot of ways, 1 and 2 Timothy are kind of a, an instruction guide to a young pastor. As Paul the Apostle writes to his young protege, his disciple that he has invested in, has handed over the leadership of the church in Ephesus to, he writes again to Timothy. And from some of the pieces that we have in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, we begin to get a little bit of an understanding about Timothy, that he was young, he was probably a bit reserved in nature, maybe even shy, but he had been at this task for a bit now. This is the second letter that Paul has written. During this time, it's a period of increasing persecution, particularly of the Christians in Rome by Nero. It's possibly, in fact, it's under him that Paul has been imprisoned. There are some challenges in the Ephesian church. There might be those who are resentful of Timothy's leadership. You know, who's this young guy to lead us? There are false teachers that Paul is warning about and instructing about. So those are some of the contexts in which we find Paul writing this letter to young Pastor Timothy. And despite some of these challenging consequences, we see here a very positive tone to this letter. In fact, in the verses that we're going to look at this morning, there's only one negative, and that is simply that God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity. So let's consider on what basis does Paul appeal to to instill confidence in young Timothy? And as we think about this application to us, it's obviously a bit of a second degree of application because this letter is written to Timothy, and we see very clearly his call as a, an apostle and a pastor and a teacher and the role that Timothy was given. And yet that second degree application couldn't be clearer because Ephesians tells us in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, that pastors and teachers are given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And that's the ministry and service that each of us are called to. And so just as Paul instills this confidence in Timothy, we as the readers of this letter may also receive confidence in the service that God is asking us to do. Well, before we kind of dive into the meat, which we're prone to do in these epistles, notice a few things in the salutation. Salutation, for those of you who remember writing a business letter. Or as Charlotte told Wilbur when he said, salute what? <laughs> salutations are greetings. When I say salutations, it's just my fancy way of saying hello. And yet in this salutation, it's more than a simple hello and even if it's a bit of a formula that we see repeated in Paul's letters, I think even that formula is intentional. And to, to gloss over this introductory greeting that Paul offers, we might also then miss some of the, the nuggets that are provided here. 
And so notice some of the opening aspects as we think about how this reflects on the confidence that Paul was instilling in Timothy. First of all, that Paul's ministry and also Timothy's ministry, and as we're going to see, our ministries are by the will of God. It's according to God's sovereign plan and purpose. It's not that we just came up with our own agenda and said, I'm going to do this. And we're going to see the responsive nature of this ebb and flow of this passage that God is the the initiator, the origin, and we simply respond. But also the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Again, there is great joy in salvation. There is great joy in serving our Lord and Savior, the promise of life. And then even as we get to the very end of our passage this morning in verse 14, also the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We see very clearly the appeal to the triune God here. Father, Son, and Spirit are at the basis for our confidence in serving him. Verse 2, we see Paul's deep love for Timothy, his beloved child. Paul had confidence in Timothy. Paul had invested in Timothy. Paul had trained Timothy. He was ready for this. Deep relationship. We see Paul's affection in verse 4. The tears of anticipation of seeing him again and the longing of separation from having said goodbye. But then notice the the oft-repeated grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The grace, the gift that we don't deserve. Mercy, the punishment that we do deserve that we don't get and the peace of God. In fact, these three, grace, mercy, and peace, I think provide a very quick response to the three most common objections we hear when there are opportunities or needs for increased service or ministry. I don't have that gift. I'm not talented enough. It's not our gift. God's grace meets that. I might fail. There's mercy. Mercy covers that. And I'm afraid. I'm not so sure about this. It terrifies me to be in front of 23rd grade boys. Peace. God and Jesus Christ have provided the grace to accomplish, the mercy to cover shortcomings, and the peace to conquer our fears. Verse 3, we see the prayers of others as we serve in community, the prayers of a church body behind us as we accept ministry opportunities and responsibilities, the joyful fellowship that we see in verse 4, and the heritage of faith even in verse 5 that Timothy enjoyed. And whether that be a heritage that you enjoy in your own Christian walk or those, that that you've experienced by walking into a community of believers, Those are aspects that instill us with confidence in order to serve. But the five main things we're going to look at as we look more closely at the remaining remaining verses, and I'll just roadmap them for you. First of all, God recruits us, and we respond in faith. Secondly, God appoints us, Rob talked about task, and we follow his assignment or directions. 
God empowers us. We've talked about grace. We rely on his resources. God also encourages us in the midst of it, and we endure the challenges and suffering. And finally, God rewards us. We rest in God's faithfulness and his promises to us that provide us with the confidence to serve him. We'll begin in verse 5. Notice as Paul writes to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. As we think about these opportunities, whether it be a need that's presented or even something that we volunteer of for our own, we're not walk-ons fighting for a roster spot. We don't have to prove our worth to God. He has recruited us. We're on scholarship. We're on his team. He's invited us. He wants us to participate. He's giving us that opportunity. The Christian life does not parallel the movie Rudy. We're not just fighting for that one chance to prove ourselves. No, God has recruited us and given us an opportunity to serve him. He has gifted us and placed us with an opportunity to fulfill the calling that he has given us. Joel references in between a couple of our songs in Romans 3 as we think about this importance of faith. Because none is righteous, Romans 3, 10 through 12. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. We're not the blue chip recruit waiting for the offers to roll in. And who's going to give us the most NIL to sign the dotted line, our letter of commitment? No, we have been sought out. We have been recruited by God in his purpose and grace. By the will of God, Paul says, he was called. Because all have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We have not sought God, but he has sought us. John 6, affirms that no one can come to me Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him. So God the Father, the sovereign God of the universe, our creator, has recruited, has elected, has signed up each one of us. Paul writes further in verse 9 that God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, echoes of Ephesians 2, Anything we have done, and it says NIV, not because of that, but because of his own purpose and grace. He has a plan. And it is our response in faith to what God has done in our lives that allows us to serve him and gives us confidence to do so. So just as it is through faith that we are saved by grace, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, It is also through faith that we serve God by his grace. And that's what provides us confidence. Notice in in verse 6 that God appoints us and we follow his assignment, what he has asked us to do. In Timothy's case, Paul says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, 
which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In Timothy's case, it was the office of pastor bestowed on him through the laying on of hands by Paul, specifically in this context for the, to pastor the church at Ephesus. In Paul's case, we see in verse 1 and verse 11, a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, the assignment that God had, had given to him. For all of us, generally, we have a whole group of general assignments. We have the, the great commandments. We have the one another's sprinkled throughout that we are called to do within community. And we have the great commission to be Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth to carry that gospel message forward. But also specifically with regard to church life, that we have responsibility, we have tasks that God has given us. He has appointed us to be part of the building up of the body, Ephesians 4. Hebrews 10 says that let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to, how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as we're doing this morning, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I'm not sure what that individual task might be for you. And I mentioned some a little bit earlier in terms of children's ministry, visitation, hospitality teams, many opportunities. We had the local outreach fair, a number of, of opportunities to engage our community. What is that? And so as you begin to think through that and make that application, what is the, the task or the assignment that God has given, that he has appointed you to do? We're sometimes tempted to think, God has given us so many assignments, and yet we wonder, is that fair? Well, I studied and was involved in local government for a number of years, and the biggest outcry of local governments to the federal government is no unfunded mandates. And that's when the federal government passes legislation and, and dictates that states or municipalities have to do something, but then sometimes doesn't send the financial resources to do that. That's an unfunded mandate. And I think if we're honest, there are too many times when we look at God and in our minds we're thinking, hmm, unfunded mandate. God, you've asked me to do this. This seems too hard. You've not given me the resources. And yet we know that's not true because he has. And the, the connection between God's appointment that we serve the church and his empowerment of us, we see in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. His spirit is working within us. The spiritual gifts that he has given to his body in different manifestations are to enable us to fulfill the ministry he has called us to. And so the third aspect originates with God. God empowers us, and we rely on his resources. Notice verse 7. For God gave us, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love 
and self-control. The one negative here, no fear. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And yet too many times we're afraid. We mumble unfunded mandate. And I think as we, if it boils down to we're a lot like the cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz. What did the, when we first encounter the lion, he is a scaredy cat. But as he accompanies Dorothy and the other characters on the way to the Emerald City, they encounter some pretty scary stuff. I mean, flying monkeys. Remember the first time you saw that as a child and you headed for the, you know, oh. And so by the end of the movie, that lion, he has developed courage. But he doesn't realize it, does he? Until what? Until the wizard puts that badge on his chest. That external affirmation of what the lion had already developed. And I think too many times we're waiting for that badge. You know, what's that external affirmation that we need to have that confidence and that courage that God has already given us? God has not given us a spirit of fear. But rather, he has given us power. It's a power that provides effectiveness in service. Verse 8, it's, it's what allows Paul even to suffer and invite Timothy to suffer with him. Share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Verse 10 describes that power. It's the power of Christ who abolished death and brought light and immortality. And then that great phrase of confidence that Paul says in verse 12. I know him who is able. We are able because God has given us that his power that provides that ability. We see that in 2 Peter 1, the opening verses. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Paul writes about this same power of, of resurrection that we see in verse 10 of 2 Timothy 1, also in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 20. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That is the power that God has given us. Raised with Christ in newness of life, resurrection life that has conquered the grave. There's great power. But there's, a, there's three aspects here. There's power, 
But 1 Corinthians 13 warns us that there's a critical ingredient, that power or giftedness without love is ineffective. Power without love can even be harmful. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And so added to that, God has provided power, but also of love. And it's love that provides the context for the use of this power, for the use of the spiritual gifts that are talked about in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, that we think about of weddings, love is the sandwich, is the, is the center of the, the two chapters, 12 and 14, that talk about giftedness. That's the context. That's the domain. Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition. Don't act out of your own power or giftedness, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Peter writes, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. God has provided the giftedness, that power. God has instilled our love that is directed outward for the benefit of others. And yet that power and love must be harnessed, must be channeled. I remember in high school, one of our opponents was a team that was very gifted. They had a lot of great athletes. They had power. They had a passion for basketball. They loved it. And yet, if we followed our coach's game plan, most years we would win one, if not both of the games against them because that team lacked discipline. They didn't know how to bring together their power and skill and ability and their love for the game. And oftentimes it was too individually oriented. And so God has given not only power and love, but he asks of us to exercise self-control. This is what is the effort applied from our part. MacArthur defines this term of self-discipline, self-control, depending on your translation. A disciplined, self-controlled, and properly prioritized mind. This is the opposite of fear and cowardice that causes disorder and confusion. Focusing on the sovereign nature and perfect purposes of our eternal God allows believers to control their lives with godly wisdom and confidence in every situation. The importance of this self-control, this discipline, this self-discipline, is also accentuated by author R. Kent Hughes in his book, Disciplines of a Godly Man. He writes that we will never get anywhere in life without discipline, be it in the arts, business, athletics, or academics. But this is doubly so in spiritual matters. In other areas, we may be able to claim some innate advantage. An athlete may be born with a strong body, a musician with perfect pitch, or an artist with an eye for perspective. But none of us can claim an innate spiritual advantage. In reality, we are all equally disadvantaged. None of us naturally seeks after God. None is inherently righteous. None instinctively does good. And he cites Romans 3, 9 through 18. Therefore, he concludes, as children of grace, 
Our spiritual discipline is everything. Everything. I repeat, discipline is everything. In the next chapter, Paul will demonstrate this with the examples of the soldier and the athlete and the hardworking farmer. Hebrews 12 says that since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance, with focus, with perspective, with discipline, the race that is set before us. Verse 7, one of my favorite verses. No fear, but power, love, and self-control. But next, God encourages us because ministry, service is difficult, isn't it? It's hard. It's not always fun. And we, God encourages us and we endure the challenges and suffering. Notice verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Verse 12, again, Paul will reference his suffering. We see that he's in prison. Serving God is not easy. But fortunately, God has warned us of that. He knew that it would be difficult. Think of Jesus warning of his disciples, his prayer for the disciples in the upper room. Not that we would be removed from this world, that we would be one and that we would be an influence. And as you look at some of the encouragements just through this text, verse 6, to fan into flame or kindle afresh the gift of God. Occasionally we need to, to stir up that fire. General Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, writes, the tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. Verse 7, if we have fear or timidity, we know it's not from God. Verse 8, God encourages us with good company. Paul says, Timothy, join me. And we have so great a cloud of witnesses. And of course, verse 12, for this reason, meaning the gospel message, the good news available to all, the transforming power of the gospel, because of that, Paul says, I'm more than willing to suffer these things. And as we endure those challenges, because of God's encouragement, finally, we see that God rewards us. God rewards us. We trust in his faithfulness and his promises. Verse 12. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. We trust because of a deepening relationship with him, because of God. Paul doesn't say, I know what I have believed. His confidence is not on the basis of a set of propositional truths that communicate the gospel. His confidence is, I know whom. I have believed. Jesus, who appeared to him on the road to Damascus, that he has become more and more in love with, and as he encourages those he writes to, might you experience the love of God in a deeper way? Might you know his will? Paul has confidence because of whom he believes. 
Verse 5, he is, that we are convinced, sure, persuaded. He says, until that day, the day of evaluation in heaven and reward for our obedience to Christ. God rewards us and we trust in his promises. We trust in his faithfulness. Romans 8.18 says, For that I, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is what gets us through the challenging times. This is what gets us through being made fun of at work for standing up for the gospel. This is what gets us through the time commitment to prepare a lesson plan or to not feel like we're getting through to the children that we're working with. The sufferings of the present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We read 2 Peter 1. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. But verse 4 continues, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption, Genesis 3 and following, that is in the world because of sinful desire. We might first of all have victory in our own lives from that sinful desire, but that we might experience the great promises of God as we faithfully serve him. Hebrews 11 provides the connection between step one and five. We began with God recruits us and we respond in faith. Then he appoints us and we follow his assignment. He empowers us, we rely on his resources. He encourages us that allows us to endure challenges. And finally, he rewards us and we rest in his faithfulness and promises. Hebrews 11.6 brings that full circle. For full circle. And without faith, our first point, we respond in faith. It is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Well, as we look at the final two verses, just some additional guidance that we see. Verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. We're not marking new trails. We're not blazing new paths in serving Christ. We're following a tradition, a heritage. The pattern of sound words that Timothy was instructed from Paul. He'll go on in chapter 2 to talk about, and the things that you've heard from me, entrust those to faithful men that can teach others. And so we're merely a byproduct of that perpetuation. It's not new trails that we're, we're we're blazing. And finally, verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The good deposit of the gospel, that we are Christ's ambassadors. We have a message to share. We have ministries to fulfill in the local church. Now, as we've emphasized confidence this morning, I just want to clarify, this is not a message about guilt that you need to go sign up for this, that, or the other. It's also not a message that disregards giftedness. There are some ministries that maybe you're not cut out for long-term. 
that doesn't always excuse us from filling a need in the short term. So I'm not talking about guilt or obligation. I'm trying to remove those barriers that I'm not gifted enough. No, God's grace. Or I might fail. No, God's mercy. Or I'm afraid. No, God says no fear. Peace I leave with you. Removing those obstacles. That we can have confidence in serving. We can have confidence in ministering because of what God has done in recruiting us, appointing us, empowering us, encouraging us, and rewarding us. All we need to do is have faith in him, follow his assignments, rely on his resources, endure difficulties in his strength, and anticipate our rewards, including eternal fellowship with him where we will serve him forever. So the next time that Bonnie or Tim or Wes or I come to you with a need or an opportunity, we can respond to those not with a, oh, I'm not sure. But we can be confident. Confident, confident, divinely secure. Raise our hands. Raise our hands because we're sure. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this just practical encouragement that Paul offered to Timothy as he served you in Ephesus. And as Paul has also instructed about the life within the church, equipping the saints to do the work of ministry, might we continue to be a church that is mobilized to do ministry, a church whose growth comes from multiplication, as we see our ministries engage our community in love. We see others come to Christ in saving faith and discipled and nurtured and able to serve. God, we pray that we would think less of ourselves and to focus on you. The gifts of salvation, the spiritual gifts that allow us to serve you effectively You have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and self-discipline. May we apply that discipline so that we might bring your power and love to bear in effectual ways. And Father, we conclude by offering as a benediction Paul's words to the church at Ephesus in chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.